Eyes on Whiteness is a podcast that illuminates the insidious and ignorant ways of whiteness, regardless of intent. Our guests are invited to talk about the ways white supremacy and patriarchy are pervasive and ever-present. Our conversations are rooted in a commitment to normalizing the how, not if, lens for looking at the ways it's present for all of us. If you'd like to support us, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can find us on Patreon, Eyes on Whiteness. I'm your host, Maureen Benson, and sometimes I'll be joined by Deidre Barber, who will only show up when she feels like it. The podcast is produced by the brilliant and kind Aaron Rand Freeman. We're excited to welcome you to the show. when we were both working for an organization facilitating conversations about race in school districts around the country. I quickly was captivated by her brilliant light and nuanced ways of engaging in so many layers of dynamics rooted in various forms of oppression. I always learn so, so much about being authentic and accountable in our conversations. In this podcast, Ladine shares powerful stories here as a Black woman the daughter of an African-American father and a Chinese-American mother, raised in the Black community and engaging in many years of education in the metaphysical world. The way Ladine draws connections and deepens awarenesses transcends the limitations that whiteness often puts on our speaking and thinking. I also want to acknowledge that after the recording of this podcast, Ladine reached out to have a clearing conversation with me. And she shared that when I invited her to be on the podcast, I said it was her time but that a way I showed up in hosting interrupted her and didn't let her finish some stories, and that wasn't okay. It wasn't what I committed to. I appreciated her even more for sharing this insight with me, and I really took that conversation and lesson to heart as I think about my power and privilege as a white woman and host inviting Black women to share stories with us. So thank you, Ladine, for your authentic truth and for being willing to share the impact of that on you as a lesson for me. I hear you. I honor you, and you can count on me to do better. I'm sorry for that impact on you. Thank you. Welcome to Ladine King. So uh, you are, without a doubt, one of my favorite human beings, and I'm really, really <laughs> grateful to get to chat with you today. Mm -hmm. um, but for, and I'll do a little bit of an intro later. I kind of been recording them in and out. But one of the questions I've been starting with is for you to share with folks who are you and what feels important for you to share to anyone who's listening today? Okay. Well, how about we just start with my name is Ladine, <laughs> and I am the only one on the planet. My parents were being creative. I am the third unplanned, but very wanted child. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my mother was born and raised on the North shore of Oahu. And so her and my father wanted to name it Lay Something, Hawaiian Flower Lay. So you can see I'm wearing a lay right now, not a flower lay, but a lay nonetheless with the Hawaiian royal colors. Um, and 
I guess they just came up with the Dean part, you know, like they were like, lay what, lay what, lay Dean. Okay, that works. So um, it's spelled L-E-I-D-E-N-E. And, you know, being an educator, and I started out teaching eighth grade in Elizabeth, New Jersey, one of New Jersey's Urban 30. And they pride themselves on being the best of the Urban 30, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you have to get to know your kids, like, quickly. Mm-hmm. So I had 150 eighth graders coming through, and I had to get to know their names, you know, because that relationship, I have to know you, right? In order to teach you and you learn from me and I learn from you. Mm -hmm. And so learning their names was really important. And often when I'm teaching, I will mention that when we're talking about culturally relevant pedagogy, Mm -hmm. because we know that those who are culturally relevant know their children. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. You have strength of relationship and it seems minor, But like, how many stories have you heard, Maureen, or have I heard from people with unique names or non-white names, since we're talking about eyes on whiteness, Mm -hmm. and their teachers don't even take the time to learn how to pronounce their name correctly? Let alone the origin. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what does that say? Mm -hmm. When, what do you think of me? What is your value of me when you don't even pronounce my name correctly? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, my name is Laydeen <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. And, you know, I guess I can share racially. I'm a black woman and I learned that people who look like me are called racially ambiguous <laughs> because you don't necessarily know what we are racially when you look at us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like, um, being the product of, or the child of, a Chinese mother, Mm -hmm. Chinese American born in Hawaii, and an African American father born in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And we were raised in the black community, the African American community in East Orange, New Jersey. Neighbors Newark, Montclair, also a 23 minute train ride into Midtown Manhattan Mm -hmm. to give you a sense of where I am. And so race for me, as I share in my racial autobiography, when I was teaching that, um, has always been salient. Mm -hmm. So I have this hyper um, awareness of the impact of race and what I look like and what that means. And it's not because I care. It's because other people have constantly made Mm -hmm. an issue since I was Five. That's, you know, the earliest I can remember. The question was, what are you? Mm-hmm. You know, and children, I think, are very curious and delightful and innocent and just want to know, like, you're my friend. What are you? And um, so for me, my life has very much been this journey of who am I mm-hmm. racially and otherwise, um, but who am I? And being able to somehow find a place of belonging because there is this ongoing sense of otherness, whether it is just in the world, whether it is in the Black community, mm. you know. So it's not a dink that I pledged Alpha Kappa Alpha, mm-hmm. you know, the first African-American sorority, 
Mm -hmm. um, or that I am a member of other black women's organizations because I know what it's like to not fit. So having an instantaneous, so to speak, um, network Mm. where I can just show up and people might look at me a little like, who's she? But they know I'm an AK, right? Or they know I'm a member. And then a whole nother eyes on whiteness um, conversation might be um, that whole Greek life uh, within (laughs) whiteness and within blackness Mm. and colorism, Mm -hmm. you know, and how the AKAs were typically the lighter sisters, Mm -hmm. lighter skinned, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, that's a little bit about me and what I'm bringing to this conversation. Is it okay if I share who I'm bringing with me. I would love that, please. And just moving forward, I appreciate the respect and I know that that's the intent and this is your space. You don't have to ask permission. So whatever feels important to share, please do. All right, got it. Want to be in alignment with your intentions. So thank you for letting me know I can just go. And so as I was sitting with, because I just happened to be meditating beforehand, And, you know, what is my intention for this time together? And it came to me to bring people with me. And so this is um, a piece that was gifted to me by a sister, indigenous sister, um, Jerry, out in um, the Seattle Bellevue area in Washington state. And this is the lay that she made for me that because she was actually from Hawaii also, like my mother. So we did the like, oh my gosh, right? (laughs) And so, you know, the lei is a symbol of aloha and of love and of regard and of appreciation. So it meant a lot to me that she would make it for me and bring it the next day. And it has the colors of the um, Hawaiian monarchy, the royal colors. And... Also, the colors are relevant because my mother went to Kuhuku High School, which is on the North Shore, good for surfing and known for surfing. And their colors are red and yellow. So my mother's here. The indigenous ancestors are here. I have uh, Brother Malcolm and Brother Martin, who are always with me here in my office. And then I have, I'm actually gonna pick this up and hopefully it won't be too disturbing for the viewers. This is my little space here where I have my vision board and I have my um, paternal grandmother and grandfather. Actually, that's my great-grandmother, Amanda King, and my grandfather, John King, who is the man who taught me about unconditional love (laughs) because he just loved me. And that's me in the middle with my little Donald Duck. And (laughs) this is, if you can see it, let me see here. Can you see that picture of my family? That's my family. Oh, what a beautiful. So that's my brother, Dennis, starting to the left. Then Douglas, who is in the Bay Area, my mom who passed on Father's Day of 2014. And then me, my dad, Dr. Kenneth King, and I say that because a black man born in the 40s to have a doctorate from Columbia is quite a feat. And my sister, Lori, and then Edbert, her husband, and they both live in Midtown Manhattan. Mm. Oh, and I know, 
and I keep this up here because a sister friend gave this to me. And isn't that just the truth of who we are? Love that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a keeper. Mm -hmm. And um, just a reminder to you, me, and everyone who's listening, watching, that we are beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so those are some of the people who are here with me um, and just wanting to know that I am because so many have been. Um, and I have my life because of a lot of what people have done for me, even though they didn't know me, right? And so it's with that spirit that I do this, you know, racial equity work mm -hmm. and continue to live into my unique purpose um, at this time, mm -hmm. in this place, mm -hmm. as I am right now. And so that's actually a nice segue into, kind of hate that word segue, <laughs> popular, like robust, everything was robust. It's like, really? Where did that come from? Epic. If people keep using the word epic, and I'm like, I don't think that word means what you right. think it means. They can't, not all these things can be epic. <laughs> well, I'm curious about your segue, but I really just wanted to offer gratitude for you naming who's with you. So when I asked who you are, what I appreciate, one of the ways you just came out the gate um, interrupting whiteness in such a lovely, graceful way is getting rid of the individual and honoring the collective, including your ancestors and your family and who and chosen family who've um, just gifted you in so many ways. And I'm sure you've gifted them right back. Mm -hmm. So I just want to appreciate you uh, for starting us off in a collectivist ancestor oriented space. So thank you. I'm already learning. <laughs> Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate the openness to learning. Yes. Because that's a part of, I think, my challenge. One of my challenges in being in the world is how to remain open and how to um, be in relationship and conversation when people aren't open. <laughs> you know? Um, so I appreciate your openness. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so knowing that, you know, I'm speaking as Ladine, but they're all a bunch of people who are present here with me um, that I'm aware of and not aware of, frankly, you know, but I trust that that's so. Um, I figured that we could talk a little bit about how whiteness has shown up for me in healing spaces mm. and metaphysical spaces. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's really up for me and has been up on and off for a while, for several years. Yeah. You I know? Can't wait. I'm so curious what your experience has been, what you've observed. Um, so thank you for being willing to share. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so I don't know if it, there's really a beginning, but I'll start where it feels right. And a while back, I was going through another phase of, so what do I want to do with my life? <laughs> like, I'm that child. <laughs> you know, my brother knew he wanted to be a mechanical engineer. Like, he knew that in high school, and he's a mechanical engineer. My sister knew she wanted to be in business. She's in business. Mm. So I'm the kid who every few years is, like, figuring out what now, what next. But it seems that the one thread has been, I'm an educator, okay? And then I've seen to 
a veer into healing. And I was really looking at the mind-body connection. So knowing that I'm a geologist, I have a BS in geology with a minor in math, and I was going to go and study the Hawaiian volcanoes because they're particular kind of volcanoes, hotspot volcanoes. And um, I have this science background. And I am also just seem to have this spiritual bent. And so I understand that there is this matter-energy interface. So the matter is the physical, mental, emotional, or really the physical reality. This is the biology, the chemistry. And then you have the, the energy. This is the matter and this is the energy, which is the physics. Mm. And so I'm grateful to live in a time where quantum physics exists. Right. And that <laughs> science, our science, is being able to quantify what spiritualists have known for a long time. Okay. And so I wanted to understand how does the energy, the beliefs, the thoughts, the emotions translate into the physiology? Ooh. So how does the energy, which serves as the template for the material reality, um, support wellness, hmm. support heal healing, or support disease? Hmm. Okay. And so... I was trying to figure out, like, how do I even pursue this? And so I was like, hmm, well, maybe I'll become like a doctor of Chinese medicine. And then I realized I don't like needles. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're so I was like, that ain't going to work. <laughs> that ain't going to work. Okay. Ixnay that. So then I started uh, looking into becoming a doctor of naturopathic medicine. And at the time, I think there were four or five college, colleges of naturopathy in the country. And me being me, um, I'm like, I want to go to the oldest one, you know, and the one that's really steeped and well known. And so I went, I applied, I went out uh, to Seattle for an interview. And two things. One, I was still witnessing that it was still much more body oriented than I was really interested in. Mm -hmm. I'm really more interested in the energetics, right? The physics, the mind, body stuff. Um, and I also um, met with a white male there who I think, I don't know, he was the director of admissions already or whatever. And he, I was telling him about my desire, you know, to create this kind of paradigm in spaces like East Orange, New Jersey, where I grew up, hmm. which is a four square mile inner city community, right. mostly of black people and working black people, uh, working class black people. And he just let me know how that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and I thought to myself, now, I could go into a space of fight, and I'm going to show it to you. And I already survived Duke University undergrad. Hmm. So I've kind of had enough of that, of being in an environment that is an assault and insult. 
mm. constantly, right? And having to fight my way through and prove myself. Mm-hmm. So I said, mm, I'm not doing that again. Mm-hmm. Right? Not necessary. So there were two things that helped me put a pause on that. And so I do see at times this divine orchestration of my life that I really do want to believe in mm. most of the time mm-hmm. without minimizing the, the horror that can at times happen on the planet and in people's lives. Okay. And so I was in Hawaii with my mother because she would go home every summer. She was a teacher and then eventually a principal and had the summers off and she would go home to Hawaii every summer to visit her parents, her people, you know, so I, being a teacher, had my summer off too, and I would go with her. And so I'm sitting on the beach after having gone to the Waikiki Library. And Waikiki, that's like where all the tourists go, right? <laughs> so I go to the library and I do a search for energy, energy work, mind, body, medicine, whatever. And there are two books that come up. One of the books is Barbara Brennan's Hands of Light. That's her first book. Her second book is Light Immersion. Never heard of this lady. So I check out both books. I'm on the beach in front of the ocean reading my book, books. And I'm reading Barbara Brennan's book. And I, so I'm reading it and something said, this is it. Huh. This is it. And I was like, okay, this is it. And so I did some research. I found out that she was a, a former physicist for NASA who studied the human energy field. Wow. Okay. So That's she's a person you're talking about of the science. Okay. Wow. Exactly. And that she has a school. <laughs> of course. That does. she created this school to teach people Barbara Brennan healing science. Okay. So I'm living in Phoenix at the time. And I go to like one of her introductory workshops, okay? And I'm like, you know what? I'm, go- I'm good to go. I'm going. And I had just started this like new job and the class would meet every other month for like a, a week. Yeah, about a week or so. And we'd go to Florida. And so every class that was scheduled for that first year, I already had a commitment for work. Wow. So I said, you know what? It's not time. Yeah. I was really disappointed, but it's like, it's not time because when it's time, there is no push in in my experience. It's more of a flow. Okay. And I'm being shepherded too. And so I listened to that and I just waited a year. And so then I enrolled in the four year program. It's a diploma. And while I was there, you could also get a bachelor's, but I already have one. So I was like, I I don't need another bachelor's degree. Um, And I went really wanting to understand how um, the thoughts that we have, the beliefs that we hold individually and as a collective translate into wellness or disease. And being African-American, I'm real clear. Many of my people have diabetes or sugar, um, as they call it, um, hypertension, like high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, it's not just because we eat 
fried chicken. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like there's a collective consciousness that we hold as Africans who were forcibly brought here and enslaved for hundreds of years and then subjected to ongoing daily institutionalized and personally mediated racism. Right. Okay. And so I wanted to understand that so that I could support my community and myself in healing. Right. And so we start our first year welcome reception. And at that point, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know, I'm just there. And I see Lori Keene, who's like this almost six feet. I mean, she might be over six feet tall, white, blonde. Okay. okay. And she's coming over to me and she was like Barbara's first, second, right, left arm because there was Lori and there was Sherry and they were okay. Barbara's right, left arm. Okay. And she comes over to me and introduces herself and she asks me, what brings me here? And I'm totally in my head, which I'm very good at. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned throughout my life to, as a black woman, I must be, um, intellectually strong, mm. sharp, competent, equipped, because my competence always is always questioned. Right. Isn't, isn't hardly ever a given. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm coming from my intellectual, you know, what I just explained to you. And then she, then I kind of deepen. And I didn't know it at the time, but now I believe I know what she was doing. Okay. And I went to a space of, I feel broken and I want to be whole. Mm -hmm. So beyond this intellectual explanation of why I'm here, at the core of it, that's what I was feeling. And I was seeking wholeness. And so I think what I realized after four years of study is in her energy field because energy, you know, tuning forks, you know, the energy you can harmon harmonically induce a frequency into a space. And so I imagine she was holding a certain frequency hmm. that allowed me to come from my head more into my heart. Wow. And into my soul seat, right? Which is here. And so that even though i wasn't conscious of it at the time this is why i believe so much in energy and when people say be the change or the messenger is the message there's nothing i must do say it is what i must be huh and when i graduated well before we graduated lori was giving us a lecture uh, fourth year. And she said, you know, the greatest healers are those who can simply be present with the client. That's and I was initially, I was like, what? You got to be kidding me. I spent four years and all this money and time and that's all it, that's all I have to do. <laughs> right? Like, why didn't you <laughs> tell me that first year for God's sake? You know, um, this has been a hell of a journey. And she said, but you wouldn't have had the container to be 
with another in the way you have a container now because of the time and the effort and all that you put into your personal process. So what I learned in that schooling process was this is not about healing anyone else. This is about heal or heal thyself. So it was four years of like a crucible experience where I was diving deeper and deeper into myself where, I mean, I could probably talk um, just about this, but my, my Brennan journey, but it was, let me just say fourth year, um, Chiomi, who was our Dean, fourth year Dean, she came to me um, and said she wanted to speak to me. And I was like, okay. And I was like, holy crap, what I do? Cause I'm thinking <laughs> the authority doesn't talk to me unless I did something wrong. Like that's a part of my tape. Sure. Part of my belief. Mm-hmm. Okay that I need to continue to release. And so we sat down and she says, well, the fourth year faculty and I discussed it and we would like for you to hold the feminine in the commencement address. Maureen, I started crying. Of course you did. (laughs) And what were the tears about? That's a really good question. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, what's coming and I'm not fully sure, but what's coming is me. That, um, so being used to that wound, early wound of not being enough. Yeah. And so this was like, I'm enough. Mm-hmm. Not to mention all these white people <laughs> who up in this school. Right. right. I mean, it was predominantly white. Sure. Um, and I think it was also probably some relief that I wasn't in trouble, <laughs> you know, Um, But I feel like it may have been that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, wow. And like, really, as I'm experiencing this now, it's like, yeah, like I am. Yes. I am. Yes. Um, And so that is really what I was going to share as I got to my fourth year And I shared along with Sebastian who held the masculine and that if I did nothing more with this training, because some people were going to, some of my classmates were going to open their own healing practice. Mm -hmm. Some were going to take it into law, business, ministry, you know, whatever we're going to do. And I thought to myself, if I do nothing more, and I said this in my commencement address with this, I will have done enough. Mm because I'm the cake right? and anything else is icing. And when I came to this school, I felt broken Mm. and now I feel whole. Mm -hmm. And so if I do nothing more, I'm good. 
And for me, that was that that was tremendous growth because I have been so achievement oriented. Yes. And a perfectionist, always achieving, always doing. So it's like, hey, no, 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 no. You good. Just in who you be. Yeah. Um, and so to circle back, that is about the being. Mm-hmm. So when I was facilitating conversations about race, this is about me being with and in the energy mm-hmm. when people are terrified because there's only love or fear. That's Harry and Williamson, you know, Course in Miracles. There's either love or fear. Yeah. So when people show up in conversations about race, obstinate, resistant, angry, withdrawn, it's it's either love or fear. And what I don't want to reproduce is more fear. So how do I be in a frequency of love and being with being, because I have a container to hold that space of transformation Mm -hmm. without needing to push, pull, prod, convince. Yeah. Um, Because... I have my own experience in that four years of training where I felt the terror Mm. of a belief system um, disintegrating. And it was, I felt the terror and then the void and then the infinite possibilities in the void. But this is all a part of my transformational process. Right. And because it was a journey of heal or heal thyself, then I'm better able to empathize when people show up, you know, how people show up when you're trying to facilitate a conversation about whiteness, you know. I'm so moved by so many things. um, But the more recent thing that you just said, just give me goosebumps in that this, this, philosophy of just being if you be as a whole unbroken enough good enough person that in and of itself is a container there's a way in which it opens the space for folks around you to heal and if you be from a space of fear or not good enough um that's a different kind of container right Mm -hmm. but that gets held and so I'm really struck by the difference between how the first person, the white man at the school showed up to you in the previous way you were being, um, cause he already told you what you couldn't do, even though you knew, right. And the response could be to fight cause in fear we fight flight or freeze or fawn even as a new one I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really struck by the difference that one of the things Deidre and I, um, often uses a phrase, we have a tool, it's called transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And I'm really struck by your example because of your own heal thyself process and the way you, you showed up. It wasn't about defeating something else. It was about what do I need to change within so that I can show up whole and complete. And I think it's such a beautiful story of the beginning of your schooling at that particular, well, at that other school and then even at this school. And that someone helped you get out of the, you know, I heard you say that you're as a black woman who deals with the world as they see you, 
you have to be always ready intellectually because you're not given the benefit of the doubt. And in that moment of someone just helping or creating space for the energy frequency of just be, you were able to move into your heart, mm -hmm. right? And that, that that in and of itself seemed, it struck me as a beginning, nice. as a really powerful beginning of however your heart is in that space, you get to just be. And the world doesn't in whiteness and white supremacy and patriarchy to a black woman allow for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yes. then here in this culminating ceremony, you are being asked to hold the feminine. Yeah. And it isn't about your action plan or next steps, which is what whiteness would have. <laughs> what are you doing next? What's the grad school program? Where are you going to go preach? Where at law school are you going to bring this to? Right. It was your powerful standing. And in this moment, regardless of whatever happens next, I am enough. Yes. And that's just such a powerful transmutation of white supremacy, like not allowing it to run the show mm -hmm. in you, within you, was, was how that landed on me. I don't know if that resonates, but that was so inspiring to hear. Mm -hmm. It's inspiring, and I also just want to name it makes me so deeply sad um, in that not, the, not your victory, but the fact that there is an, even a world that folks that are in the skin that you're in in the gender identity that you're in have to combat that. And I think you found this really beautiful way of not making it about that. It was actually about you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm appreciating you helping me see this connection between how the white guy at the naturopathic college, you know, was showing up and how I showed up and how Lori showed up. Um, and what that's her container, you know, where it allowed me to go within myself. And also I hadn't recognized and to give honor to my growth is that I, I just wasn't going to fight with this guy. Like this is not the space I need to be in. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's okay. Let me continue to find where I need to be. Um, and I found at Brennan that very often the teachers were encouraging me to rest. Huh. Now they weren't encouraging everybody to rest, but that they were encouraged, right? Because there's this, they could see um, my overworking, you know, mm -hmm. and the exhaustion and the hyper vigilance. Um, and going back to the whole mind-body thing, I mean, I used to have um, irritable bowel syndrome. I used to have acid reflux, like seriously, like I would burp like 45 <laughs> burps a minute. I'm not exaggerating. It was bad. Ugh. I had really bad PMS. Like my father had to come and get me from high school one day because I was like keeled over in the nurse's office. Mm -hmm. And what I recognized was um, because of how I was running my energy through my energy field or not running it yeah. because I was intellectualizing everything. So the sixth and seven chakras, you know, for the intellect were huge in me. Uh -huh. And my will centers, the rear chakras, two through six, huge because I could do. Right. But my emotional centers, the feeling centers, the front aspects yeah. of chakra two through six, 
were immature. Mm. And so that was like, oh, that's the connection between the thoughts, the feelings, the beliefs, and the physiology. So as I allowed myself to open those front aspects of chakras two through six, which are responsible for metabolizing the emotional energy, I don't have acid reflux anymore. Mm. I don't have irritable bowel syndrome anymore, you know? And so one thing that my doctor of Chinese medicine is working with me on is my thyroid. Mm. So when we, at the top of our conversation, we're talking about this and I said, I receive it. It's actually really important because my thyroid, that's a manifestation. My hyperthyroidism is a manifestation of something happening here Mm. energetically. Yeah. And this is about taking in, receiving nourishment, Mm. you know? Um, So I feel like it was, I could write a book about that experience, you know? those four years and in terms of the metaphysics mm-hmm. okay, and the whiteness in metaphysics so I actually was gonna leave that school huh I think it was my third year and we did a large group process and there was a white female blonde um, who was leading the process group and she said something about um, how our, how our, all of our pain is the same. I was totally triggered. I can imagine. <laughs> right? Because I was, time out. Time out, Barbie. Like, <laughs> I don't think you know. No, 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 no. And so it took me a minute to raise my hand. And even after I raised my hand and they gave me the mic, it's like I forgot I had the mic. So this was my own process of like resistance and not being ready to speak. I mean, she's an authority in this space. I'm in front of all of my classmates. I'm in the minority as a black woman and I'm talking to the racial authority, right? Not ex- and the positional power. So I was like, oh gosh. And so I guess when I was finally ready, I realized the mic was right beside me. And I shared with her, my, my truth, like as a black woman, I find it dismissive and minimizing of my unique journey racially to say all pain is the same. You know, I get that we all experience pain. I get that. And can you stand with me in the pain that I feel? Right as this racially ambiguous black woman and no, you can't. No, I didn't say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but just, her you response, just thought it really loud. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have that much hold of myself where I was going to disrespect authority like that at that point. And she showed me that she couldn't stand with me in it. Okay. And what was interesting about that moment is there were some of my classmates who in their way stood with me. And you know what, Maureen, for me at that time, in that situation, it was enough. Mm. It was enough. And it also helped that the only black teacher at the school um, 
who I absolutely um, loved and have a lot of respect for. Um, she let me know, she came to me and she goes, you know, so what happened in process group today? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, yeah, those teachers, they're talking about it. And she just encouraged me to stand in what was true and real for me. Mm. Okay. And not to give that up and over to the quote unquote authority. Um, and so I almost left the school because I was, I, it would, I was like, these white people can't hurt, hold space for me. Right. In my racial stuff. Yeah. And so off, so often when I show up in healing spaces is white space. Right. And they are coming from a space of colorblindness. And what complicates it is the energetic metaphysical stuff, which is what I wanted you to talk about. What I wanted to talk to you about is because in metaphysics, we're all one. That's so complicated, holding a lens for racial, uh, the social construct of race. Right? So that's like, almost like a white liberal's uh, heaven. <laughs> mm. Because it's just a great detour. Right. Right? Right. Because we're all one. So you stay in this color blindness. And this is why I love Marianne Williamson. Because mm. she is one white new ageist who's also all about social justice right yeah she called for reparations on the presidential debate stage that was amazing okay okay <laughs> mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so i give mad props to her because she kind of goes like this to the white spiritualists who want to stay in color blindness who are like oh we're all one yes we are metaphysically Right. And how I'm living my walk every day and how you're living your walk right. are different walks. And I need you. Well, I don't need you. I would like for you mm. to be able to hear that, understand that, and not detour from that. You know, and I feel that is um, a, a pattern that I'm looking forward to. Um, reshaping mm. so that I'm able to have this clarity and understanding, not just here, but here right. with how do I hold the truth metaphysically and spiritually that there's a collective consciousness and we are all one. Yeah. Okay. All connected. And in this human incarnation, yeah, that is Ladine King as this racially ambiguous black woman, I'm not living the same life, you know, as a Lori Keene. Right. You know? Um, and so it's, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting journey. And I just feel like um, there was Brennan and there was, um, when I lived in Phoenix for eight years, I was introduced to Unity Church. Mm -hmm. And I was in this leadership program. They're all over the country. Most cities have it. But in Phoenix, it was called Valley Leadership. Mm -hmm. And they take, you know, com community members and build your leadership capacity. And it's a network, you know, access. People call you back once you're in Valley Leadership when they never called me back before. Oh. <laughs> 
You know, it's like I hear Oprah saying people give her tons of stuff now that she doesn't need it. But right. when she needed stuff, like, right? But yeah. So I remember we were doing that, that uh, privilege exercise where everyone starts out at the same place. Yeah. And then um, you kind of take steps forward or back based on what they're reading. It's all about clarifying your, where you're dominant, where you're non-dominant in your yeah. identity. And um, so we're debriefing the exercise. And as you know, I mean, all the white people <laughs> are way up front. Way in the front. <laughs> right? White, male, straight, all that, Christian, you know, middle class, right-handed. And then we're farther back. And one of the white men says something about um, working hard. Okay. Yeah. And I've worked hard and you're familiar with that narrative and white consciousness. And again, the people of color in the minority in numbers. Right. So I'm like, here we go. And we, you know, the people of color, we're looking at each other like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this white man, Richard Rogers, who was my classmate and who was the senior minister at Unity of Phoenix, said, the reason why you're saying that is because you're white and male. And I was like, oh, <laughs> hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Like he said it. And like we as the people of color were thinking it, but we're already the minority. Yeah. So like we're not trying to totally jack up the space and whatever. And I was like, wow. And that's kind of what brought me to Unity Church. Because huh. I went to his church. Okay. So I was like, that I respect. Yeah. And what about that was so um impactful for you oh my gosh because more often in my experience in my race my racialized experience white people watch me be destroyed they just watch and say nothing or and that's like best case scenario at least they're passive they're not like coming for me. They're not a part of that, but they just watch me be aggressed upon yeah, and say nothing. And I'm thinking, where's the humanity in that? Right. Oh, oh, right, but I'm not human. Right. Yeah. Right, that's how I understood when I went to Monticello and I'm on the slavery tour and I'm trying to reconcile how all men are created equal, right. how he wrote that. <laughs> right. And like how he had this many slaves. And I'm like, oh, because I'm not a person. I'm not even human. Mm. Right. And so for me, that was tremendously impactful mm -hmm. because for him to risk losing his place within whiteness and white people and white community, okay? Because that's, he loses something. Yeah. To stand, to speak that in that white space on behalf of, and it wasn't in any way, I didn't even get the sense that he was doing the I'm the white messiah thing. Okay. And I'm caretaking and speaking for the black people. No, no, no. 
he was speaking his truth as a white male to a white male. Yeah. And I know in my experience, white people hear white people differently than they hear me yeah. as a racially ambiguous black woman. Yeah. Okay. They will dismiss me in a, in a second, but if a white man says it, right. And how many times has that happened when I've been working? Okay. Teach for America, yeah. all the executive directors back in the day were in a room back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I said something, no response. And then Greg, who was then in charge of LA mm -hmm. said the same thing. <gasps> And it was exactly. Yeah. And I was like, am I crazy? And am I missing something? Like you, I kind of, you know, and you know, yeah. I mean, I kind of start to think I'm crazy. And at this point in my life, I know I'm not. I know that this is just how whiteness operates. Well, it is crazy. You are not crazy. Right. Yeah. But if yeah. I think, you know, one of the things I've been sitting with in this last piece that you're talking about is the, the assumption in whiteness that we are one means we're all the same. Mm -hmm. right? Like the fair and equal conversation versus equity conversation. And what I'm, I'm present to, I was, it was sort of like just simmering with it a little bit. And then you gave this example of a person who lived, we are one, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are one as a being means that you're my sister and whatever you need, I'm not going to have to worry about thinking it through first. I'm just going to mm -hmm. speak up. Mm -hmm and that your truth and your authentic experience is yours and I'm going to stand with you to honor your experience and not demand that we find common ground in that, right? And that, so I think there's a, uh, in whiteness, the lens of whiteness has us interpret, and I don't know, I'm not steeped in these metaphysical communities, but it just hears, it sounds a little bit like the assumption is that the, the, that there are, that the we are one definition through the lens of white supremacy means that we're the same. All men are created equal. All men are treated equal. And that actually that's not what we are one is saying. We are one is we belong to each other. We are deeply mm -hmm. interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just shared this in the um, conversation the other day where I said what changed for me as a white educator was who was working in predominantly black and brown communities was to move from the intellectual of let's theorize about what we need to do to help these kids and start thinking about them as my children. Yes. This is my baby. You're going to stop hurting my baby today. And I don't have the plan. I just know I'm going to jump in here and interrupt this because something's hurt yeah. you. Right. That's what yeah. you would do for someone mm -hmm. who is in your family. You wouldn't think mm -hmm. it through first, but when mm -hmm. we keep it up in this very intellectual, you know, you were talking about the chakras. The other thing I was really, I didn't want to interrupt you but I was so present to how whiteness was playing out in your naming of these very intellectual, right? Chakras and how emotions are in the front, very like closed up and the devastating impact on, on humanity. And the, you know, the, the, the and that it's, it shows up differently, but I'm, I was really sitting with, wow, of course you and your experience were filled with toxins because so much of who you are and who much of we are as humans is our emotions, mm -hmm. is how we feel about things. And if, if you and I are living in a world that treats us differently and you're getting heaped on and assaulted mm -hmm. in so many more ways and you don't have that space to show up and have a valid emotional response to the yeah. trauma... Yeah. You know, as a white woman, I have my own trauma, but you know, it's very different than yours. And the world holds space for me to cry if I need to cry. 
right? And so I'm really struck by one of the questions you offered at the beginning of, you know, what is it that the, 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 the intersection of when emotions and energy, I mean, when energy impacts the physical, and then how does that impact us differently racially in a world that doesn't actually believe we're all one, that holds space for me to be my authentic self in a way that it holds space differently, that tolerates maybe a glimpse of your authentic self, but as long as you're not pushing too hard and, you know, and that that white man who leveraged his privilege, it seems like in that moment, really didn't think much about it. He just was like, what you're not going to do is erase all these people. Like there was a way he was embodying the erasure mm -hmm. of the other folks in the room. So he was living the, we are one. Right. Yes. And I, so I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that was just, that was really sitting with that of like, Oh, what does we are one mean? Yes, exactly. Yes. What does that mean? And I really do. I appreciate that question. Um, Cause you're making me think. And it makes me think about the Christ and the Christ consciousness um, and how I guess my understanding is that based on my consciousness, my beliefs, my understandings, then I interpret and so a part of my journey right now, it's not about Jesus, a man, or knowing the Bible, because I've never been like a real Bible person. Um, I grew up Catholic. My mother was a devout Catholic. And then, you know, Southern Black Baptist churches um, and unity and... I feel like this, this, this journey, inward journey, Howard Thurman, the great theologian, has a book I'm reading right now, um, Inward Journey. And this is about loosing myself. And I'm having multiple thoughts, so give me a minute. So I remember Marianne Williamson, because I was like into her for a while her book, A Return to Love, which is her reflections on A Course in Miracles. Because I have not been able to get with The Course in Miracles, like to work my way through it. Like, <laughs> I'm just not there yet. It's just, so I was like, okay, let me like read her Cliff Notes version. And I was hearing her tapes and all of that tapes, right? And she said, it's, and when I met her, she said, someone else said this but I don't remember who she said said it, but she said, Christ didn't have anything we don't have. Huh. He just didn't have anything else. And it took me years, years to even start to understand what that means. And so for me, what that means is that this inward journey is not about the acquisition of. It is about releasing that which is not the truth of who I am. Wow. It is releasing. So then I can be more like the Christ 
and not have anything else but the truth, the essence of who I really am. Right. And then when I know the truth of who I am, my inherent lovability and worthiness, just because I am, mm. I don't need to dominate mm. other people. I don't need to make anyone, I don't need to feel, make myself above or better or right. So for me, even as I was facilitating conversations about race, on some level, I was attempting to hold a space of the truth of who we be. Yeah. The, the space, the place in each of us that knows who we really are so that I don't operate from the place of separation and needing to walk over you and needing to be more beautiful or thin to be beautiful or to have a partner in order to feel worthy of love. Yeah. And so I feel all of these isms are rooted in that faulty sense of who I am. So as I journey inward and reclaim the truth of who I am, then I be more like Christ mm. or is Buddha or whoever it is. Sure. Okay. Um, but being able to connect with and live from and know, not just here, but know who I am. And that's a journey that I continue to be on. Sure. Because how, you know, I'm really struck by, and I mean this in nothing but a complimentary way, I think a lot of times people think of the word audacity as a problem. But I think how beautiful and beautiful, <laughs> how beautiful and powerful it is to have the audacity to dare to be your most authentic and beautiful self. Mm -hmm. And to, again, in transmuting white supremacy, not have it dom not show up in domination, right? Like that your celebration of your I don't even want to say most powerful being because the word power is ripe with so many problematic connotations, but just, again, your most authentic is, is perfect enough. Your most perfect authentic self is about you and that that doesn't have to play by any set of rules or social constructs that have number one already created in the container around us. So people are going to sit in their own discomfort as you show up as your authentic self. But also um, that I would imagine so much of the work is undefining what has been defined for you. Yes. Right? Like in that piece around how you habitually stayed in the intellectual because the assumption was, right? Like that's showing up in an anticipation of what someone else is already defining you as, mm -hmm. which takes energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? A lot. <laughs> And it's not that you're not authentically, naturally brilliant and intellectual because you are, but I think I'm hearing, it sounds like this part of this journey is, and I think a lot of us can learn both from the impact of a world that um, is steeped in white supremacy and racism on you. So first of all, thank you for sharing this gift of your story, because I think it's so important for folks who uh, white folks or folks who are steeped in whiteness to understand the human impact mm -hmm. on folks that live in the skin that you're in. Mm -hmm. And also there's a lot for, for me as a white person to learn because I too then have been in a different way, 
-hmm. right? Um, my identity has been created, right? So there's a way I naturally, I had a, a conversation with um, a very good friend and colleague of mine, uh, Kat Brooks, who we were talking about, uh, she's a black woman who's deeply engaged in community activism and work here. And, and she was sharing that she had some feedback for a white man. And she was sharing the feedback and I was like, well, just tell him. And she said, ooh, to have the audacity of a white woman, you know? <laughs> and I was like, right, right, <laughs> right. And so I think that's an interesting place for us to be having interracial conversations because there's both, I need, as a white woman, I need to be mindful. This is my takeaway in this moment, but uh, one of my takeaways is that I need to be mindful of how I'm just throwing audacity around because I'll be received, right? I'll be given that benefit of the doubt. And also the work of folks who don't receive that to be looking at the ways and that's defining how you're willing to show up, right? Like what, what does it look like for, I've been saying this a bit, like what does it look like to imagine to have the audacity of those that are given racial privilege? Like what might you say, you know? Um, and not to like put, I'm not saying that in a way like there's a responsibility. I'm just left curious about that inquiry of like, what would you say if you expected to be believed? Yeah. You know, how might you say it? Um, you know, what's interesting about that, Maureen, it's that um, for me in the metaphysics thing, right? Because another part of metaphysics is as I'm hearing Michael Bernard Beckwith, who I'm listening to a lot lately, nothing comes into your life uninvited. And that's what Ooh. Iyanla, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Iyanla, who I studied with, I didn't graduate from her school, but that's a whole nother story. Um, she's brilliant. She would say the same thing because she's a metaphysician, okay? And these are black people, right? And I even find that they, have not given me satisfying answers yeah. to my questions as it relates to race. Um, and not that I've had too many forums with Reverend Michael to do that, um, only one. And then Iyanla had much more with. But what's coming to me is taking responsibility for what shows up in my world, okay? And this is in no way about blaming myself for what shows up. Right. So when I was, you know, kind of coming into new age thought, people would say things like, well, you, you created that. Like you, you brought that into your world. And I'm like, really? So you're going to tell a woman or man who's been raped that, that they basically invited that into their world like that? you know what, that's not loving, okay? And the God that I serve is, is loving, okay? Whatever God is, I believe is love, is a part of that. And so I felt people would be taking these warped, you know what I'm saying? And doing more damage, which is why, again, the inward journey is about elevating consciousness. Mm -hmm. So that the meaning that I make is elevated, mm -hmm. okay? And elevated meaning like David Hawkins' book, Power Versus Force, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where different emotions radiated different frequencies. Yes. 
So it's not in the whiteness hierarchy, better or worse. It's literally things that radiated a higher or lesser frequency. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so um, for me, when I'm triggered, my, on my good days, Mm -hmm. I first go in. So what's happening? What's here? And I have a repertoire of tools at my disposal Mm -hmm. to see what's here and be with what's here to reparent maybe the inner child who's triggered up Mm -hmm. and to really take responsibility and see that this is an opportunity for healing. There's an opportunity for me to blame and shame, but that's not going to help. Right. Because that only helps reproduce the pattern. So first, I want to, when I'm able to and choose to, go inward and do that work first. And what I find, Maureen, is when I do that, then whatever action comes forth is much more clean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Much more clean Mm -hmm. and and loving. Yeah. So I'll give you two examples. Can I give you two examples? Yeah. Okay. I'm just aware of the time. And so... When I talked about the benevolence of the universe and the kind of divine orchestration, so the company I used to work for, um, they, for the first year, last year, had given us professional development funds. Now, we're professional developers, but never had professional development funds. But anyway, and so I was thrilled, you know, that we had this. And being a consultant, though, I'm very much aware that when I'm not on the road, the company doesn't make money. So... I need to be on the road. So cut to the chase. We get to November and I still haven't used my PD funds and I have to use them by December. So I see that Reverend Michael is doing this take back your mind silent meditation retreat at Joshua Tree. Wow. To bring in the new year. Yes. And I said, I want to do that. But then of course my mind takes over and talks about all these other things that I could do that might be a little bit more aligned with my actual work. (laughs) <laughs> but keep coming back to this. Yeah. I tell you, I had to use hotel points, frequent flyer miles, rental car points, in addition to the money that the company provided. But I got there. Mm. And as I'm getting there, first thing was, and you know, I would fly a lot for work, so got juice on planes. So for whatever reason, I was in a middle seat. And I'm like, east to west coast, even though I weigh a buck, I'm not interested in the middle seat. Right, right. Okay? (laughs) So I try to do something about it. Doesn't work. Try multiple, doesn't work. And so I said, you know what? Just set your intention. Set your intention that you're going to be in an uncomfortable seat. And even if it ultimately is a middle seat, you're going to be all right. So some, I don't know what I do the next day. I log in. I get a window. (laughs) Cool. So I fly all the time. So I don't talk to people on planes, certainly not white people, because I'm teaching white people all the time about their racism, right? So I need like a break. Sure. And so there's a Southeast Asian brown woman who sits next to me and we start talking about her bag, which is lovely. And she tells me she's on the board for a homeless shelter. And I have always been interested in homelessness. And how, why are people homeless? What do you do to support homeless in a meaningful way? 
to that's meaningful to them. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's not a whole to, nother conversation with COVID-19 right now. That's okay. A, I, I can only, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And so being able to serve people in a way that's meaningful to them. Yes. And so we talked about that. Then she moves seats because she wants to sit with her children. And there's a young white male who sits in the middle seat. We talked the entire plane ride. Huh. He was a millennial. I have never, I don't think I've ever had such a delightful conversation about race with a young white man like that. He was so open and receptive. I was like, this is nuts. Like, this is awesome. And this is like nuts, right? Yeah. And so the flight attendant is serving and we're in the, the blue seats on United. So coast to coast, I know that I get a meal, I get a snack and I get free liquor. <laughs> I love, I've always loved about you, how you are very clear what's coming to you. You're going to make sure it happens. I love that. <laughs> okay. So I know this is what I'm getting. So I get my double gin and tonic. Okay with three limes. <laughs> That's my typical. And so the flight attendant who has to be a white female, she goes, ma'am, you only get one. <laughs> and I said, really? I said, That's very interesting. You're the first flight attendant who's ever told me that before. And she goes, well, no, you only get one. You'll have to pay for the next one. And I said, I see. I said, would you do me a favor and just go check that? Because that's never been my experience. But if it is, it's okay. So I'm a bit triggered, but I don't like go, you know, black girl angry on her. Okay. Because I know that's not an option on a plane. Mm -hmm. In most places, you've seen the videos, right? Of black girls, black women tossed about by law enforcement and others when they attempt to say something. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I'm triggered though. And so I'm talking to the young man and I said to him, I said, you know what? I'm a bit triggered right now with what just happened. And I'm wondering if I had been a white male, if she would have said that to me in the way she said it to me. And so I just need a minute because I need to deal with me here. I needed to remove myself from the conversation. Um, and he was very understanding, supportive, like, oh, wow. And, you know, he's, his mind is still blown. Like, sure. this is really what's happening in your world, right? So I go inward and I do my inner work, okay? And then what comes forth is, do you say something? Do you do anything? And it's like, yeah, actually, I think I do. And so what came to me was not to talk to her. Because if I attempt to talk to the white female about what she has done that offends me racially, that's not going to go well. Okay? That's the pattern. Because most white people are in color blindness. They're terrified of being racist. So they have no capacity or skill Mm -hmm. to stay in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And what will then likely happen is she will claim she's the victim. Right. And that I'm the problem. Right. So not only am I being subjected potentially to racism, but now I'm the problem on top of that because I'm attempting to deal with it. So nope, 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 that's off the table. Sure. 
So then I said, let me go find a lead flight attendant positional power because whiteness understands that. And I got juice on the plane. So I'm not just black. I'm a platinum <laughs> flight. That's what they understand. Mm -hmm. And so I go to the back. Turns out both flight attendants back there, the brother and the sister, black. Thank you, God. Uh-huh. But I'm not free and clear yet because sometimes I bring up race to my brethren and they look at me like I'm crazy. Like they don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. And so I brought it up to the gentleman and he was totally with me. And the sister was just kind of, you know, eating her meal on a break, but listening. And um, he, he, would, he handled it beautifully. He validated my experience, my concern, while also letting me know that she's new, the flight attendant is new, that she had come back and asked about the policy. And he said, the policy is that you only get one bottle of alcohol, one spirit. And he said, flight attendants don't pay attention to that. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. They just, if you want it, they give it to you. You're a frequent flyer. Like they just give it to you and she's new. So she, he did the both and for me, which I think is beautiful. Mm -hmm. He could hold my experience yes. as a black woman racially and also help me understand this white woman and what she was dealing with. So it Follow, wasn't just about rape. following the rules. Yes. Well, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Quote, quote, and, unquote. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. And still, if I had been a white male, would she have handled it the same way? I don't know. That's right. I mean, these are the things I don't know. Sure. Mm -hmm. But for me, he handled it in a manner that I found healing. Mm. Um, and so for me, that's one example of when I'm triggered and I can go within myself. Yeah. Yeah. So when I share, I'm not attacking, blaming, projecting so much. I'll give you the second example. So in the midst of... Can I, can I just ask a question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious because one of the things you were talking about was the problematic nature of the... Um, I don't know what the, word, the phrase is, but um, the philosophy that you've invited something in, right? And it's a slippery slope of seems like the both and it sort of addresses that, right? It's not an either or. It's not like, well, you brought that in. It's like, how do I go within, right? And the question I wanted to ask was, it seems like you set an intention for that flight. And I'm wondering if you could speak to how you saw the power of that intention playing out. Like you obviously didn't call this white woman in to do something problematic. I'm clear about that. Mm -hmm. And it sort of panned out in a way that could have gone very different. So I was just really curious if you, yeah, if anything comes up for you as you're thinking about how the creation of that intention played out. Well, honestly, I'm just so clear that the angels were shepherding me to this retreat. Yes. Um, and with the white female flight attendant, I think the gift of that was to help me see my progress. Right. Because there was a time where being the mother of a Chinese American daughter, 
I would be insulted, assaulted, just harmed. Yeah. And would say nothing. And would feel like it was not my right to say anything. Got it. Okay. And so this is huge progress that one, I will speak, but more progress that I will go inside first to do whatever work I'm capable and willing to do Mm -hmm. in this moment so that any action I take um, doesn't just perpetuate the wounded pattern Mm. because when I'm triggered it's not really about what just happened Mm -hmm. the trigger is there because it's a wound that's old and so one of the triggers for me is fairness yeah I don't like it when things aren't fair. And I remember saying that when I was way young and my black daddy was like, girl, please, life ain't fair, (laughs) right? I mean, he's a black man. He's like, please, get get over it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's being able to take responsibility for the bound energy that is in me that does call this until I clear it. Okay. And so for me, it was an opportunity to practice. Yeah. Okay. And in that kind of moment, I'm better able to like see that. Yeah. There are moments when I can't see that at all. And I will fight it and say no, like the middle passage, really. Like you're trying to tell me that all those people, the Holocaust, like all those people invited that shit in, like whatever. That's some bullshit. Yeah. And I still, on some level and in some way, do believe in this orchestration, divine orchestration. And that in evolution, there's only progress. Mm-hmm. And so, in terms of my intention for this trip, you know, beyond the seat and then the white female flight attendant with the brother and sister who were awesome. And he's like, so what can I get for you? (laughs) How many gin and tonics would you like? Right. Um, And then I get to the rental car agency and they're like hardly any cars available. Mm. And the woman comes up to me and goes, yeah, we're we're really short right now, but how you feel about a Mercedes SUV? I was like, I feel fine about a Mercedes SUV (laughs) to drive out to Joshua Tree. Cool. And then I drive out halfway to Riverside because I didn't want to drive all the way out to the desert by Mm -hmm. myself late at night. And there's like a festival of lights for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And there are all these cars trying to find parking spaces. And of course, I'm going to the festival of lights because I love that kind of thing. (laughs) And turns out my hotel is right like around the corner from the Festival of Lights Mm -hmm. and the parking is blocked off for people like me who are staying at the hotel, Mm -hmm. right? So I feel like there was all this kind of goodness as an ease Mm -hmm. as I was just kind of 
going to this retreat. And then I show up and I'm running late and I call the contact and she's like, don't worry, get here when you can, just get here safely. We'll be here to receive you. No stress. Yeah. Get there. Two brothers with dreads greeting everybody. Yeah. So I was like thinking beyond Ian Levanzant and being in her spiritual life coaching program, mm -hmm. this was the second time that I was in metaphysical healing space and it was black space. Yeah. And that's like, you know, like, thank you, God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that the whiteness isn't there. Well, it, well, I mean, clearly, right? Like, that's what I was so struck by. I was like, oh, it's, I mean, this is a great opportunity to practice, like you said, um, the brother in the back did, was the both and, right? Like, and I think the world is going to do and people around us are going to do what they do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hella fucked up and sometimes it's, you know, a gift or maybe it's always a gift. But even in the fucked up, there is a way in which what I'm hearing from your story, particularly as progress of your journey, is that there was a way in which you did not allow the social construct of race and the, and the definitions of who you are from white supremacy to guide your response. Like mm -hmm. that, that pause of like where you went within, mm -hmm. it, it lands on me. And I don't know if this is your experience, but it lands on me as you being really clear. No, I am who I am. This is the experience I'm having. And these are the questions I have. And whatever you needed to do to get to show up kind of back to your graduation of mm -hmm. your authentic self mm -hmm. had an impact, you know, and it, that doesn't mean you might not have been pulled over, right, on the drive. And then there would have been an opportunity. It doesn't stop the, the racism from happening, the world from doing what the world's going to do, but it's a both and. It's not like you called it in, the world. And mm -hmm. how do you want to show up to what's so? And yes. do you want to show up to what's so from what, how the world has defined you? Or do you want to show up as your most authentic self? Yes. And I love that you were affirmed and given a beautiful pathway when you got to show up as your authentic self. Cause I could imagine when we're not affirmed, it could make a second guess that, huh? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that just feeds into the doubt. Yeah. You know, so, and that's why when the Brennan person was saying all our pain is the same, I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, at some level, sure. But the, the, the details of how I get to where I get to, yeah. we have vastly different journeys yeah. Yeah. in the specifics, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, and even the whole, you know, when Reverend Michael and Iyanla will say, nothing comes into your life uninvited, you know, again, at what, in, in what consciousness is that spoken and received? Yeah. Mm -hmm. because that can be used to do harm. And so for me, it's, 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 it's like, what is, I don't know what it is, but it's almost like, what is the impact? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and how to be mindful. Is this loving? Yeah. 
And then, of course, that takes me to a whole question of what love is sure. mm -hmm. and how people define that. But even that, again, I feel is about degrees of consciousness. Yeah. And I don't want to say levels because it's too hierarchical, right? Totally. Um, but degrees of consciousness. So being able to return to the truth of who I be. So it is from that true big T, big self consciousness. Yes. More and more that I operate as opposed to from the child consciousness, the lower self, you know, mm -hmm. um, the negative ego. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, go ahead. It reminds me though of what we were talking about, kind of the same as the we are one, right? There's intent and impact. And if people are looking at these phrases or this, you know, nothing comes that wasn't invited, we are one without a level of consciousness of the way that white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism define that, right? Like mm -hmm. we are one is fair versus equitable. Um, you know, I, I, I was actually thinking, um, when you were talking about the invitation, mm -hmm. I think there is an intent to empower people. Mm -hmm. And a lack of consciousness would have that be very disempowering and judgmental. Like whiteness would show up in that way where it's a blame and there's a judgment. And I appreciate your naming the ways in which that phrase, the intent of that phrase can be manipulated because someone is raped or there's a genocide. That's not... But anyway, the image that came to mind was um, thinking of Nelson Mandela in prison and his refusal to not be, his, his, his commitment to being free. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that um, it lands on me like something like that direction is the intent of such a phrase. Mm -hmm. And I'm really appreciating that you're naming, understanding that phrase, you know, transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy while listening to that phrase is really important because it can be manipulated and harmful. Yes. Um, yes. I would imagine with as many healers lacking racial consciousness or, you know, the, the amount of white spaces that that can be profoundly harmful. Let me tell you, mm -hmm. like it, it like, I don't want to say it drives me nuts because every statement creates, right? Um, but it is concerning um, to me. And like when I would shop for a healer, you know, um, I mean, I just stopped going to people, chiropractors, when they can't get with me in what's true for me racially. And it can be really difficult um, to find racially conscious people who are in the healing arts. You know, and so that's why you, when you were like, so what do you want to, you know, talk about on Eyes on Whiteness? I was like, that was the first thing that came. It's like all these well-intentioned, very loving, you know, kind, spiritually oriented white people um, who are doing the same racist stuff. Right. And it's just... Um, can be more challenging to engage because then it becomes, well, that's your experience. And you invited that in. And that, you know what I'm saying? Like it's that weaponized. has nothing. It gets weaponized. Right? That has nothing to do with me. That's everything that shows up is your experience. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, knowing that occurs, 
I feel like the plane incident and a, a more recent one in agape space, because uh, they are several offerings, daily prayer and meditation, and then a spiritual gathering every Friday night. And so I pop in. And um, on two separate Fridays in the Zoom space with two separate white female ministers, they didn't call on black women who wanted to be recognized. I saw they wanted to be recognized and actually I was one of them. Right. And so I'm in a metaphysical space. So first I go inward. So this is predictable in my experience and what here it is again. So how do I inward, go inside to do some work on this and be with the here it is again? And once I work through that some, when I'm ready, so what emerges? And it was, okay, so you need to send them an email. Because a part of this in your journey is not witnessing that and enabling their unconsciousness. Mm. You are a facilitator. You are great at it. You are a healer. And you are racially conscious. So this is your opportunity just like you would want when you're facilitating someone to point out to you when you miss something like that, right? So with that, I did that. And one of them never got back to me um, and one of them did. And when she did, there was a little bit of the typical, you know, clutching of her pearls. I didn't mean it, but I'd already outlined, you know, D'Angelo's consciousness, white, it's not about intent, it's about impact. Um, but ultimately, she received and was thankful for me pointing it out. And that she, so she'll be more mindful. Mm. And that she is new to these virtual spaces, which I, I get that. Sure. Um, and she ended by saying how loving my message was. Mm. And I said, that is some, that's some freaking progress right there. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, like, yeah. so this is kind of where I am right now in my journey yeah. with living race as I do in these predominantly white metaphysical spaces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am happy that this one is led by a, an African-American man. Sure. No, that's got to be like a breath of fresh air in so many ways. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, it feels really important to say that it is a gift that you were able to find the emotional labor and the willingness and the capacity outside of so many other times you're holding that space to offer that gift to those white leaders. And I think the reason I want to say that is that folks listening, it, that, you know, it's really important to honor the agency of those most impacted, right? So as a racially ambiguous black woman, you found it in you mm -hmm. in that moment to do that. That might be different a different day. It just feels important for me to say that doesn't let other white folks off the hook for those white folks that were in that room that didn't notice it. Mm -hmm. What is their work, right? And so I think it's just important that we're all, I appreciate that you were naming earlier that that, um, 
the white man who spoke up to the other white man wasn't doing it as like a white savior. He was just speaking his truth um, and living the we are one, which is, was my takeaway from that. But I think it's just really important as we, we are deepening our eyes on whiteness. And for some of us, that's newer than others. You know, I mean, my journey of this is still a long ways to go. Um, but that it takes all of us because some days, Ladine, you're tired. And some days, Ladine, it's, you know, that trigger is not going to go away quickly. And it isn't, it isn't your sole responsibility. So, like, I think it's really great to just to wrap us in this session today with what does we are one look like mm. and for each of us to sit with that and and in in transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy remembering that today's answer can be different than tomorrow's answer because this is not a linear process it's a messy i think i've heard someone call you know our racial uh, transformation not transformation but like the, tr the process of transforming how we show up racially as like a gumbo you know, and that we we are just in it together and with time there's there's many different flavors and elements to it but like collectively is what makes it so perfect and wonderful and so i'm incredibly in awe of the gift you shared by just telling so many beautiful stories today um and i'm just gonna say it i don't want anyone anybody white leaving this thinking you know we're off the hook like this is this is a gift to be able to look into the incredible amount of energy and labor you put into getting to show up as your authentic self. And I'm really regalvanized to stand with you, mm. even if I'm not in room with you, right? But to stand with you and to sharpen my lens so that I too can see those things that, um, you know, my work as a white person is to um, one of the ways to show up um, in just love with you is to honor who you are at any given time. And so while you've shared so many stories of grace and progress, it also means holding you when you're having a tough day and that, that there's being in the trigger is also who you are mm. and what is it like to love and hold you in that space? Yeah. So I just, spirit was really calling me to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and I love you so much. I'm so mm -hmm. grateful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So am I. So am I. This is a, a beautiful offering that you are bringing forth. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, and I just appreciate that you are so appreciative, you know, um, of my sharing. And, um, you know, continuing to encourage white people to determine so what is their role in this we are one? And because there is a lot of labor, that is just a natural part of my experience being in this skin. <clears throat> and you know, I don't know if this is helpful because I don't I don't want to let white people off the hook. Okay. Yeah. And there is a reason, I believe, why I'm still here. And when I say I, it is not just I, black, black people. And I remember Susan Taylor, who used to be the editor-in-chief of Essence Magazine. Love her. Okay. She's such a queen. And 
she was addressing a group of black women and she said, you know, no matter what's going on in our communities and how bad it is and may seem at times, I want you to remember we are the descendants of those who made it. And I was like, so when I was teaching about being able to tolerate discomfort, because it is in the discomfort, the load, the lift that I build the muscle. Yes, yes. And so it's not that I want pain, okay? I don't want pain. That's not what I'm saying, God. <laughs> Let's be clear. But when I am challenged and have gone through those moments or phases of my life that I really felt like I might leave the planet, um, now that I look at it, I see that God knew what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And it almost, I can feel some tears there because mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know, but then there's a place in me that knows that even with that, the, the breaking, there has been a rebuilding mm. and a rebuilding on bedrock. When there had been rocky soil or sand. And so there are those moments where, like, what's going on? You talked about homelessness and COVID 19 and what's like going on out here, right? It's just like, so how do I borrow, lean on, lean into? those other phases of my life where I was like, this is a wrecking ball through my reality. And I see how God brought me through. Yeah. I see the way that was made. I see the all sufficiency of the grace of God. How do I stay connected to that now? And then be who I need to be so that I can do what I need to do from that place of being. Yes. You know, so I feel like I, I don't have the answer. I'm just living into it, <laughs> living into it every day and just appreciate. I just love you. I love you. And I just appreciate you. So it's my pleasure to, to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ugh, I feel incredibly incredibly blessed thank you so much for sharing for sharing who you are and for being exactly who you are yes thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs>
and each other. We got a lot of work to do. Take care, y'all. See you next time.